Today, we celebrate mom, because let's face it, we'd be lost without her. Mom can do everything. She can clean the house, buy groceries, work out, feed the kids, prevent a meltdown from her two-year-old and her teenage daughter, <laughs> all before breakfast. Mom knows everything. Mom knows what you need and when you need it. She knows what you did and when you did it. She knows the exact ratio of peanut butter to jelly for maximum deliciousness. She speaks toddler, teen, and dad lingo and translates for everyone else. Mom does the hard stuff. You know, like changing diapers, cleaning up after us when we get sick, and let's not forget childbirth. There's a special bond between a mother and child that's hard to explain. It's why moms cry on their kid's first day of school. It's why fans and athletes always say, hi mom. It's why even the toughest guy has an I Heart Mom tattoo. So here's to you, Mom. You're usually the one who buys the gifts, but at least we're taking you out for lunch. Happy Mother's Day. Well, good morning. Welcome to New Spring. I want to say hello to everybody here in the South Auditorium. Hello in the North Auditorium. If you're watching around the world online, if you're watching on television, we're just so glad to have you here. I know it's congested. Let me just say a quick word. Um, if it ever gets to be too congested on Sunday, we have two services on Saturday that are not quite as full. So if those are ever an option for you, um, we, we would love to invite you to be part of any service here at New Spring. This is like my 35th Mother's Day to speak. And the thing that always tickles me about Mother's Day is just the range of emotions. Because, you know, we're a little crazy as a church anyway. Have you noticed that? <laughs> um, you know, it goes from being really, really funny because as a speaker, I don't, I don't know that I ever see as much humor in any holiday as there is in Mother's Day. And yet on the other hand, it's, it's very deeply sentimental, you know. And so I think I really, I, I'm on the outside looking in. And could I just say something? I don't know if the rest of you dads and grandfathers feel this way, but it's like I'm not sure it's okay for me to have this much fun on a day that's supposed to honor moms. But like the three, two services last night and this one has just been so much fun. So it, it is great to think about Mother's Day. Um, we are, on any given weekend here at New Spring, it's not uncommon for us to have about 2,000 kids. So I thought a lot about that, and we thought about kids and their reactions to questions, and there was a, a it was kind of like kids' world, and the kids were asked several questions about their mothers. They were asked, uh, why did God make mothers? How did God make mothers? Uh, what are mothers made out of? And why do you think God gave you to your mother or your mother to you? And they were asked these questions, and they came up with the following responses, and I thought I'd share some of them with you. Why did God make mothers? She's the only one who knows the light bulbs are. <laughs> Boy, here's a future husband right here. Mostly to clean the house. There's a kid that needs some education. Right. <laughs> here's future doctor. To help us out of there when we were getting born. That's good. How did God make mothers? He used dirt just like the rest of us. <laughs> Magic plus superpowers and a lot of stirring. God made my mom the same as he made me. He just used bigger parts. <laughs> what ingredients are mothers made out of? They had to get their start from men's bones, then mostly string, I guess. Here's my favorite of all these answers. God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one scoop of mean. 
And all God's people said, amen, right. (laughs) Why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? We're related. (laughs) And this kid is me 40 years ago, 50 years ago. God knew she likes me a lot more than other people's moms like me. (laughs) You know, just being honest with you, I was a little late prepping for the messes this week. I was speaking at a leadership conference, and oftentimes when I travel, do that, I fly to wherever I'm speaking, but this one was in Missouri, so I drove the five hours over there and drove the five hours back. And so on the drive and the five hours back, I, I thought, well, I'm going to just call the role in my mind of mothers in the Bible and, and see if God kind of like directs. And I don't want to give you the wrong impression like God talks out loud to him anything. He doesn't do that. But there are times when I just have a sense that God wants me to talk about something. So I, I just started with Eve and Sarah and Rachel and Rebecca and Jacobeb, Moses' mother, and all the way through the Old Testament, New Testament. But when I'm... I got stuck on one particular mother, and I wasn't really surprised because her story is, is, is amazing. But what really surprised me was where God just said, I want you to go about two-thirds of the way through the story and stop because I have a message I want to say to all the mothers in the room. And that's a challenge for me because, honestly, we're going to leave a lot of the story on the cutting room floor. You can read it when you go home. But I just felt like God said, there's just one thing I want to say to all the moms here today, Mark, and I want you said. So I'm going to do my best. With that in mind, if you have a Bible or if you have a device with a Bible app on it, if you can get in 2 Kings chapter 4, you're going to get in the area of a story of a woman whose name is not in the Bible. In fact, if you grew up studying theology or you did study theology, you will simply know her as the Shunammite woman, and that's because she came from a little town called Shunam. Let me tell you about the times that she lived in. Do you ever read in the Bible and it looks like there are two kings on the throne at the same time? That's because something happened in Israel. Um, after King David and then his son Solomon reigned, the kingdom split. You know, in America, we had some years when the nation was divided and there were two presidents at the same time. From 1861 to 1864, there was Jefferson Davis in the Confederate States and Abraham Lincoln, president of the United States. They were both president at the same time of a divided nation, two nations. But the difference between Israel and the United States is our division only lasted a little over four years. Their division lasted for pretty well the duration of the time that they had kings. There was the northern kingdom, and then there was the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom never had a good king. In fact, if you read in the Bible about the kings, the Bible will always say this about them. Either A, they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, or they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. When you study the kings of the northern kingdom, every one of them did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The southern kingdom was not as bad, and every once in a while they had a good king, but then they would sort of gravitate right back to living wrong. And so you just need to know, as we start out the story, that the gal in our story lives in the northern kingdom. She lives in a place that's screwed up, and it stays screwed up politically pretty well for the duration, well, all the duration of her life, and actually for a couple of hundred years. So I want you to know that about her. One of the things that's always amazed me when I study the Bible is that even though in the northern kingdom there never was a good king, God gave them some of the best prophets, guys like Elijah, and then his successor, Elisha. You know, let me tell you why that's special to me, because I don't know what you see when you look at America today, but I I look at a nation that's not in decline. 
We're in free fall. And I'm just being straight. We're a nation that's messed up economically, messed up politically, messed up morally, messed up socially. I mean, you just call the role of any kind of way a country can be messed up, and boy, I'll tell you, we score 10 on every one. But isn't it good to know that even when a country may be messed up politically, God can still work and do things? And I love that. And, and that's what we have with the Northern Kingdom. So just sort of giving you the setting of our story before we get into it. Let's read now in verse 8. The Bible says, one day Elisha went to Shunem. A prominent woman lived there who persuaded him to come eat dinner. So whenever he passed by, he stopped for dinner. Now, as you know, when you have a Bible before you, the Old Testament was not written in English, nor was the New Testament written in English. Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament was written in Greek. So a lot of times we have difficulty even bringing, bringing things over from Hebrew, especially Hebrew, into English. And so some of you will have a translation that says that this woman was well-to-do. Others of you will have a translation like mine that says she was prominent. But let me just tell you what the Hebrew word is. The Hebrew word there is great. It just simply says she was a great woman. Doesn't say she was rich. She might have been. Doesn't say that she held some political office in the city. She might have. It just says she was a great woman. Now, she's not a mom yet. She's a great woman. Let me tell you why that's important to me. I stand here before you in large part because of great women. My grandmother on my dad's side was a cycle breaker. She grew up in a dysfunctional, cap, a dysfunctional family with all letters and caps. Her mother was not a believer. To my knowledge, her brother and sister, her sister may have been a believer in late years. My grandmother grew up in a home with no faith at all, in a bitter, angry, resentful, broken home. My grandfather was not a believer. His father had been a gambler and an alcoholic and he, was, <clears throat> he, he had such a horrible temper. He was known around the community as Wild Bill Hoover. And my grandfather married my grandmother when he was 16 and she was 15. And she began having nine kids, of whom my dad is the first. Most of the time in her marriage to my grandfather, my grandfather was not a believer, nor was he sympathetic with her love for God and her love for church, and most of all, her love for preachers. And I didn't know that grandfather. By the time I came along, my grandfather was a believer, but... I always think about my grandmother. I'm not sure I'd be standing before you here today if it hadn't been for a great woman. Out of those nine kids, three were pastors, among whom was my father. Three of her daughters sang in a Christian group. Austin's grandmother is one of those. One was a Bible college professor. In my generation, there are 27. Many of us are in ministry. In the next generation, I so wish my grandmother could see the next generation. My, my wife, Miral, says she can. God, God lets her see from heaven. But every time I see Jonathan preach or Stephen preach or Austin lead worship or so many in that generation that are in ministry, I think about my grandmother who was a cycle breaker. She broke a cycle of dysfunction. She was a great woman. I think about my mother who was a pastor's wife. My dad pastored the same church for 50 years. My mother is here this morning. A great woman. My mother-in-law. I can never tell mother-in-law jokes. I have the greatest mother-in-law in in the world. When Mary Alice and I got married 40 years ago next year, my mother-in-law told Mary Alice, if you ever complain about Mark, I'll always take his side. (laughs) And you can't beat a mother-in-law like that. She's one of my biggest fans. Watches all my sermons. If you're watching today, Mom, I love you very much. 
just celebrated her 90th birthday. And then Mary Alice, man, she's raised four boys, our three sons and me. <laughs> and she is a great woman. And if, you, if there's anything you like about me, probably a lot of it is Mary Alice. And now I'm watching my daughters-in-law, awesome women, great women. You know, a culture today talks a lot about strong women. It's been talking about that for 50 years, and that has its place. I just don't know that we talk enough about great women. See, great women are women who have influence. It's one thing to have power. It's something else to have influence. See, here's the thing. You can have power, and you can write legislation, or you can tell people what to do. Influence changes people's lives. And great women do that. They have influence. And this woman was simply, according to the Bible, a a great woman. And, And the Bible just says that when this man of God came through her town, he was probably preaching somewhere, and probably a lot of the messages he was preaching to Israel were not very popular because Israel was really screwed up. She would say to him, why don't you come over to our house for dinner? And so Elisha got to the place where he came over there all the time. But now we're going to get a little taste of her influence because she now has a conversation with her husband beginning in verse 9. She says to her husband, I know that the one who often passes by here is the holy man of God. So let's make a small room upstairs and put a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Whenever he comes, he can stay there. Now, New Spring, I'd like for you just to think for a moment here because I don't don't want you to think about him being a minister and she's making a room for him to come and stay. I I, want to just go to a place. I'm going to ask your indulgence to follow me through a a line of reasoning. Unlike our day, there were two kinds of religious leaders in Israel. There were priests and prophets. If, If there had been a local priest and she had made room for him, let me tell you what that would have meant. See, priest's responsibility is to represent people to God. So if she wanted something from God, if she wanted this guy to pray for I mean, there is a guy back in the Bible who basically bought off a priest in the hopes that he could get some sort of mojo with God. I mean, if she's hoping that maybe God will do something for her, maybe she would make a room for a priest. But see, a prophet doesn't represent people to God. A prophet represents God to people. Basically, what she was saying, and this is where I think this is so important, and this is what great women do today, whether they're single or they're moms, wives, not wives. Here's what great women do. She said, I want to adjust our life for the word of God. You know, from time to time, and this doesn't get to me very often, but someone will call and say, what does your church believe about this? Or what does your church believe about that? And basically what they're saying is, we want to find out if your church is eligible for our attendance. I don't get many letters like this, but I got a letter one time, a guy, I preached on a topic, and he said, if you ever preach on this topic again, my family and I will never come back. Basically, what he's saying, and what these people are saying is, we want God to adjust to us. You know what? It really doesn't matter what I believe. I mean, as far as like God's word, I mean, it's not up for God to to adjust to me. It's up for me to adjust to God. And, And that's what I think is so significant about this woman. She was saying, listen, we live in a really screwed up world and we understand that not everything that people are doing is right and we're not sure what to do. And so what we want is we want to have God's word in our home so that we can adjust to him. That is a marvelous and powerful lesson for you and me. You know, something else. And for all of you ladies who are married, I think this is really important. Guys, a lot of time, are slower spiritually than, than gals. I mean, it's true in my home. 
And, and, and I can just tell you this. So many wise decisions I have made spiritually because Mary Alice has inspired me to make those decisions. And I love the fact that she inspired her husband. And he went along and he said, yeah, that's a great idea. But it's cool to me that she had the thought. So in any event, they, they make the room. And, and uh, you can see that, you know, Elisha stayed there. Now, one day, Elisha was taking a nap. And he's there with his assistant, Ghazi. And he's saying, you know, we ought to do something for her. And she's, she's done something for us. Let's do something for her. So Elisha basically gets the word to her. Hey, and, and let me read it to you. You've gone far beyond the call of duty in taking care of us. What can we do for you? <laughs> you know what? Preachers can say the stupidest things. It's really true. And Elisha is a great man of God. I mean, 12 years ago, I did a series on him called G2. They're, they're, you probably can't get your hands on one, but it, it was a fun series for me. Elisha is a great man, but, but notice he's saying to her, hey, is there something we can do for you? Would you like for me to talk to the king for you? Well, let's be honest. He could have done it. It wasn't that Elijah was a politician or a rich man. It was just that God had helped Elijah help the king. The king of Syria was always wanting to invade Israel. And it was a more powerful country and a more powerful army. But God would tell Elijah, Elisha where the Syrians were going to be. And Elisha would tell the king. And every time the Syrians would get there, the Israelites were already positioned and ready to deal with them. And it got so bad at one point that the king of Syria asked his generals, which one of you is on the payroll of Israel? And the general said, sir, we're, we're all loyal. There's just this prophet over there. And every time he said, the, the general said, if you say something in your back bedroom, he goes and tells the king of Israel. So when, when, when Elisha says, can I talk to the king for you? You got to know Eli, Elisha had chips at the palace. He was basically saying, here's what he was asking. Is there something you want? You want a new house? You want a BMW? You want a seaside villa? Can I talk to the king? Can I get something for you? And she said, no. I'm fine. And then he said, can I talk to the commander of the army? In other words, is there somebody giving you trouble? And, and look at what she said. I just found this interesting. She just said, no, I'm secure and I'm satisfied. But now here, please, please. There is something wrong. Elisha can sense it. He tried to say he'd talk to the king, and he tried, he tried to say he would talk to the commander of the army. Now, we're, most of us are Americans here. I know a lot of you are watching online in other nations. But for all of us who are Americans here, we need, we need to think about this. Basically, what she was saying is there is something wrong with me that a politician can't fix. I am so tired of hearing people talk about this 2016 election. Because I want to tell you something. This country is broken in areas that no politician can fix. There's no Democrat. There's no Independent. I mean, I, I promise you, we should all be good citizens. We have one vote. We ought to do the best we can with that vote. But, I mean, could, in the name of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, can you quit freaking out over this election? God is still God. I mean, it's like this Shunammite woman. We're saying, hey, it don't do any good to talk about the king. It don't do any good to talk to the commander of the army. I got something wrong with me that a politician can't fix. 
And so it isn't long before the message comes to Elisha that really what this woman is saying, you know, Elisha talks to his servant, and his servant says, she doesn't have a kid. She, she wants a kid. Basically, she was saying, I want to be a mother. Why would anybody in their right mind want to be a mother? <laughs> I was just reading yesterday on the changes that pregnancy does to a woman's body. I'm telling what, you gals are rock stars. I mean, I, one thing I did discover is that the brain gets larger. And Lord knows you need that, if nothing else, just to deal with your husband. <laughs> Why would anyone want to be a mother? I mean, you, you, you've got the challenges of, of childbirth, the challenges of pregnancy. You've got the challenge of taking that infant and being the whole world to that infant. And then, you know, the school age. And then you've got the high school age when somebody said raising a teenager is like nailing jello to a tree. And I've told you a million times what Mark Twain said. He said, when a boy turns 13, put him in a box, cut a hole big enough for him to breathe. So when he turns 17, plug up the hole. <laughs> and it's expensive. Do you know, according to the United States Bureau of Statistics, it takes $304,480 to raise a kid from birth to 18 years old. Man, if I have any kid who my dad doesn't understand me, I just want you to know, he could have had a Ferrari. <laughs> That's right. Well, my mom didn't know what it's like to be a teenager. Hey, she could have that house on HGTV. Why would anybody want to be a mother? Well, and, and, and it, never really, it never really ends. I mean, even when your kids grow up, right? I mean, moms and grandmoms are here today that it's like your heart keeps pumping for that kid even when they grow up. I remember reading a story about George Bush 43 when he was president. Laura told the story of how they had gone back to Texas to visit his dad, George 41, and his mom, Barbara. And they, George got up, George, her husband had gotten up at 6 o'clock in the morning to go down and get coffee. And he got coffee, and his mom and dad were already awake. And, and George 43 got his coffee and put his feet up on the table. And Barbara said, get your feet off the table. <laughs> and George Sr. said, Barbara, you can't talk to him that way. He's president of the United States. So I don't care if he's president of the United States. I don't want his feet off my table. On my table. Get your feet off my table, George. <laughs> listen, listen. There is one reason and one reason only why a woman would want to be a mother. Love. Not the sappy kind of love that we talk about in our culture today, but I'm talking about the kind of... See, in the Bible, love always means sacrifice. Did you know in Scripture when the Bible wants to describe God's love for you, do you know the comparison the Bible makes? In Isaiah 66, verse 13, the Bible says, As a mother comforts his child, so I will comfort you. Well, all this is part of the story that leads up to the statement that I felt like God was impressing on me to say to moms. And so I'm getting ready to say that. So if you're a mom here today, if you ever want to be a mom, I'm going to tell you what I believe God. And again, please don't get me wrong. God didn't write it in the sky or tell me anything out loud. It's just I had an impression that this is what God. And this is strange because it's a very different kind of sermon for me. Um, she has a baby. He grows up. He gets to be five or six, and he does what kids like to do. His dad was a farmer. It's kind of like we have here in Kansas. It's almost harvest time. It was harvest time like it's almost harvest time here. And a little boy's playing in the fields, you know, while, the, while his dad and the other workers are harvesting. 
And all of a sudden, it was probably sunstroke. The little boy grabs his head, and he goes to his dad, and he said, my head, my head. His dad says to the servants, take him to his mother. And they take the little boy to the woman whom we've met now. And she sets him on her knees, and she watches as the life slips out of him, and he dies. And everybody's asking her, is anything wrong? And she's saying, no, nothing's wrong. But she gets on her animal and rides five miles to talk to the man of God. Now, I'm going to stop the story here. You can read about it later. The little boy is raised back to life. That's not what I want to talk about today. When Elisha sees the woman riding up, he asks, is something wrong? Are you all right? I have no idea why God wanted me just to stop the sermon right there. Because there's one thing I know about moms. It's like you have to keep all the plates spinning. And being a mom, you could have all kinds of issues. So you could have an issue with, the, with your marriage or the fact that you're a single mom. Or you could have a problem at work or you could have a problem with one of your kids. I mean, God just encouraged me to ask you, are you all right? You know, at New Spring, week in and week out, you know how I preach? I'll tell you about a problem. I'll show you a solution. We go out of here. We put it in place. But I'm just going to tell you, there are problems that you and I can have that the only answer is is to reach up to an everlasting God and say, God, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. It's not okay about marriage. It's not okay with my emotions. It's not okay with my physical health. It's okay in church to say it's not okay. So here's what I want to do. I want to end the service by just having a time of prayer. If you're here today and you're mom and you just say, Mark, I'm not okay. Then I want to pray for you. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the men in the congregation who know God to join me in prayer for you. And even though you may not be able to say or articulate what's wrong with you or what's wrong in your life, you can know right now there are going to be hundreds, if not by extension, thousands of people praying for you right now. And so I'd like for us just to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And if you're a mom here today, or you, you may just say, I'm a, gr- I'm a great woman, I want to be a mom, or maybe I'm past that age, but just I want to talk to every lady in this room and just say, it's not okay with me. I'd like for someone to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up right now and just say, it's not okay. It, it's not okay. I'm not all right right now. Well, let's pray. Father, you see the hands and the hearts of so many who have just said, it's not all right. And you know those, Lord, who are with family that they really can't raise their hands right now because they would get asked about it later, maybe. But you know and you see. You're the one who led me to bring this message. Help them in Jesus' name.
Listen to me. There are three things you need to know if things are not all right right now. The first thing you need to know is you're valuable. Valuable means able to be valued. You're also vulnerable. That comes from the Latin word vulnus, which means to be wounded. You're able to be wounded. But God wants you to know he is able. He is able to work in whatever's wrong in your life. Now I want to take just a moment and I want to ask the question, is there anybody here that would say, Mark, you know, there's something wrong with me. Are there something wrong in my life? Or at least I have a question. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. I don't have that peace in my heart right now. How can I have that? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came into our world and he hung on a cross and the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for every sin that you and I have ever committed. And if by faith we will ask him to be our Lord and Savior, he will forgive us of all our sins and assure us that heaven is our home. Now, here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray with me. I'm going to say a line and then if you want to repeat it, you can. It's not what you repeat that matters. It's what you believe in your heart. But I'm going to say it slowly so you can decide if you want to say it to God. You ready? Dear God, I am a sinner. But I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for just a minute? You know, when I get really stressed out in life, I find myself singing an old song. And I just like for you to sing it with me. If you don't know the words, you'll come along with it in just a moment real quickly. It's just an old song that says, I need thee every hour. Would you just pour your heart to God? I mean, man or woman right now, if you would say, it's not all right with me, would you sing with me, please? Here we go. I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord, most gracious. No tender voice like thine. No tender voice like thine can peace afford, can peace afford. I need thee, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. Bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. I come to Thee. Oh, thank you so much for singing with me. I'm going to ask you to be seated. they got a big announcement coming up right now. I'll be back in just a moment to make one more announcement. We start a brand new series next week. It's the biggest thing I've ever been part of. I want you to check it out.
I know, I know. We have too much fun around here. <laughs> Biggest series I've ever been part of. Character is so important. And we start a brand new series next week called Backstage. Okay, here's, here's the thing. If you prayed with me to receive Jesus a few moments ago, you can say, Mark, I still have a lot of questions. I have a gift for you. If you'll go back to guest services, one out at this entrance, one at the north entrance, it's a packet that has a DVD, a book I wrote, and a coupon for a new Bible. So if you just pray, all you got to do is say, I prayed with Mark. That's all. They won't ask you, stalk you, ask for routing number, anything. They just want to give this to you, okay? And then if you're our guest for the first time, we have a gift bag for you. So if you stop by guest services, I promise you, we don't want to hassle you. We just want to give you something. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Mother's Day. See you next week.